How about turning in your Bibles with me, please, to Romans chapter 10? Romans chapter 10. There are three chapters here back to back in the book of Romans. Chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11, each of which are pursuing virtually the same issue. The problem that Paul was facing, particularly among the Jews, in regard to the gospel of Christ, to the person, death, and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the question was, if this gospel is God's gospel, where is everybody? And especially, where are the Jews? And Paul resolves that issue in all three of these chapters. There was extensive rejection and unbelief of the gospel, but Paul proclaimed, and we too must proclaim, in the face of unbelief and rejection. We meet with it on every hand. I personally think in any group of virtually any size, these two things take place. The gospel is, is the savor of God unto salvation. Let me read you this statement. You need not turn. I'll be, be there for you can, maybe. Uh, my hand wants to tremble on me, Brother Murray. So... Uh, as long as the brain doesn't follow suit, I'll be very thankful. Speaking of the gospel of Christ, the Apostle Paul said, To the one, we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other, the savor of life unto life. No matter when, where, or who preaches this gospel, two things take place. Some believe and some believe not. That never changes. It's true in Texas and it's true in North Carolina. It grieves the Lord's children to see this unbelief, but we are not the ones who determines which it is. When God truly speaks to a man, he wakes him from the dead and makes his people hear. And if that miracle does not take place, nothing happens. And it is not only a miracle that a human being like ourselves savingly hear the gospel of Christ. This is the miracle of all miracles. Nothing else equals it in this world. But today, people, churches, and especially preachers, judge the gospel to be false based on one single thing, a numerical, statistical scale. It comes back to the same issue that these three chapters address, 
where is everybody? If what you preach is so special, where are they? Where are they? need you to turn to one. Hang on to Romans 10. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I want to read you one just brief word to try to underscore the importance of what we're about to consider in the 10th chapter of the book of Romans. Did I say chapter 1? I intended to say chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Beginning at verse 4, the apostle, 1 Timothy 6, 4, is describing to Timothy the state of affairs in regard to this blessed gospel of Christ. He speaks of those who are the enemies of that gospel, describes him in a single individual. And here's the description, verse 4. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words. Whereof comes envy, strife, railings, and evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, which is the same as saying without Christ, destitute of Christ. From such, oh, I, I jumped a spot here somewhere or another, right after the statement, destitute of the truth, supposing, here's the supposition, this prevails in every denomination, Protestant, Catholic, no matter where, when, or who, supposing that gain is godliness. From such, Paul said to Timothy, withdraw yourself. A true believer cannot live in such an environment. But godliness with contentment is great gain. All right, back to Romans 10, please. In these three chapters, <clears throat> in chapters 9 and 11, Paul resolves this issue once and for all in this simple manner. He resolves it in the sovereignty of God's grace. God saves whom he pleases. Now, who can argue with that? Sometimes it's many and sometimes it's few. But you and I don't determine that. Amen. But in chapter 10, unlike chapters 9 and 11, Paul addresses the subject from the human perspective. Looking at it like we see it where we are in time. Here are seven gospel revelations in this one chapter that are absolutely essential if we are to understand what it is that we're about, what it is that we do in the preaching of the gospel of Christ. We begin in verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul is not without desire that his countrymen be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, and many of our relatives and acquaintances and friends 
They too have a zeal of God, but like those of Paul's countrymen, he says, but not according to knowledge. Therefore, that zeal, no matter what name it is under, no matter what umbrella it operates under, it is an ignorant zeal. And indeed, can any person in this place who claims to be a believer not say that that's where God found you? It's certainly where he found me, in a Baptist pulpit preaching a false gospel. Here's the first revelation. The gospel reveals, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, the first issue on the list in Romans 10 is righteousness. Paul said about his countrymen, they're ignorant of how holy God is, of what it means to say that holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Therefore, we go about to establish our own righteousness, which leads us to refuse to submit ourselves to the righteousness of God in Christ. This word righteousness appears three times in this verse, and it has a different meaning every time. In one case, it's self-righteousness. In another case, it's God's holiness. And in the third case, that word means the righteousness that God bestows upon sinners in his grace in Christ. We must distinguish words as we read them in our Bibles. And that's a blessed statement indeed. We're all born in this world believing that we must approach God on the basis of what we do and do not do. But we must approach God on the basis of what God has done and is doing and will do in regard to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, the second revelation is found in verse 4. For Christ is the end, the end of the law for righteousness for whom? To everyone that believes. There's only one righteousness that God will accept, and that's the one he gives us in his Son. Now, you've heard that subject a thousand times, I know. But it is one of the basic elements of the gospel truth of the Holy Scriptures and cannot be ignored except to our damnation. Many wonderful, kind, generous people do not believe that the only righteousness that will stand them in good stead with God is the imputed and imparted righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, the third thing. You can relax, Bruce. I'm going to give you plenty of time this morning, boy. The third thing is in verse 5. For Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which does those things shall live by them. Translated means shall die by them. 
No son and daughter of Adam can meet God in peace based on our keeping of the law. It just cannot be. This speaks directly in this fifth verse of the severity of God's law. No man apart from Christ has ever kept the Ten Commandments. Not a one, not me and not you. All right, the fourth thing occupies several verses. It's actually verses 6 through 11. 6 through 11. So let me read you that statement. The subject is still righteousness, but now this is a different aspect of that righteousness. We just read about the righteousness which is of the law which is no righteousness at all. It's just self-righteousness. Beginning in verse 6, it is the righteousness which is of faith, which is another way of saying the righteousness which is of Christ. But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise. Here's what we must not say. Say not in your heart. Who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above? Or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead? But what does it say? What does it say? The word is near you. I mean really close to you. Even in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Matter of fact, if you can do that, you already are saved. You just don't know it yet. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. Trusting Christ in the heart unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. That is, not be ashamed to confess him. So here, in this statement that we've just read, let me point out to you in verse 7, the gospel does not say who shall descend into the deep to bring Christ again from the dead, nor who shall anything else having to do with this precious gospel. And the reason for that is the gospel says everything is done. Nothing is left to do this righteousness belongs to the sinner by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a statement in 1 Corinthians. It says, of God are you in Christ Jesus, who is made of God unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. 
And you cannot separate those four things. We do not speak of the work of sanctification apart from the work of faith. Christ is our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and all of that is in that last word, our redemption. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Now we come to verses 12 and 13. I don't know about you, but... uh, My Bible used to end at verse 13 in Romans chapter 10. I didn't even know these other verses were in there and didn't think they meant anything anyway. You know, you're going to take somebody down the Roman road, that's where you just have to leave certain parts of the book out. We didn't believe what it said. We didn't understand what it said. And we didn't need what it said. So we conveniently just spoke to people using certain verses scattered here and there to get one thing, a profession of faith out of them, making them twofold more the child of hell than ourselves. Verse 12 and 13, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, There's no difference now between what it was in the very beginning of time. God has been the same forever and will be forever. Man has always been the same, a lost, fallen, dead, helpless sinner. Christ has always been the same. Salvation has always been the same. Suddenly we think we need to do things differently. We do not need to stick to what we find in the Holy Scriptures, but indeed we do. There's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile or the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Rich to whom? to all that call upon him. So calling upon him sounds pretty important, doesn't it? Verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I take this to mean this. There's one gospel One salvation, one Savior for all people of all times in all places. Never been but one, still only one, never will be but one. It's the same gospel. But Romans 10 really doesn't end at that verse. Verses 14 15 and 16 are three of the most important statements in regard to this precious gospel of Christ. There are four questions here, each of which begins with the word how. Let's look at them now in consecutive order. Let me pick up at verse 13 again. 
Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Run, run with me back to John chapter 9, just one little second. Let me point something out to underscore the importance of that statement that we've just read. John chapter 9 is the healing of the man that was born blind. And our Lord healed him physically before and separate from healing him spiritually. The man has been questioned and grilled by the Jewish religious leaders. They have badgered him. They have brought his parents who were too smart, they just said, we don't know anything. They didn't want to answer because they knew the repercussions. And this man, as, as you move through this chapter, becomes bolder and bolder and bolder. And he knows a lot of things. But he's still without Christ, without salvation. So when they kick him out of the Jewish religion, out of the synagogue and out of the temple, our Savior finds this man, I guess if I'd get on the right page, I could find my verse. Verse 35, John chapter 9. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Do you believe on the Son of God? Not the Son of Man now, the Son of God. Doesn't everybody? Not hardly. The man said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? We cannot trust a Christ we do not know. And he can only be known by divine revelation. And here it is. The Lord Jesus said, You've both seen him, and it is he that talks with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. See how simple it is? But here's another side of the same issue back in Romans chapter 10. Beginning at verse 14, reading 14, 15, and 16, these four questions beginning with the word how. And you've got to associate this now with verse 13. So I'll read that again. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? There's no calling apart from faith. And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? There's no believing without hearing. And how shall they hear without a preacher? Ah, oh, come on now. Don't tell me you think everybody has to hear a preacher. Well, I read somewhere in this book, that it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them which believe. And if you'll turn with me, I'll read you another statement that'll knock your socks off. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 
I've met some folks, and I suppose you may have too, who think they taught themselves the gospel. They didn't need a revelation. They just read the Bible and just explained everything to themselves. Then pray tell me what this verse is doing in our Bibles. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers by whom you believed? Now watch it. Even as the Lord gave to every man. I don't know about you, but that settles it. That settles it. Now, I'm not saying that you can't hear the gospel on some kind of electronic media or the reading of a book. Surely, you're still hearing the gospel preached. But we must never lose the emphasis on the preaching of the gospel of Christ. In today's religion, it's out the back door. It's already gone. We got bigger and better things. And people don't like it anyway, so they'll quit coming if we go to preaching the gospel. But I'm telling you, God honors the preaching of the gospel of Christ. I mean, a person can sit in a gospel church for umpteen years, and when God is pleased, he speaks, and the work is done. Fixing to baptize a lady that I've preached to for almost a hundred years. No, not a hundred years. <laughs> Almost 30 years. And suddenly, back in June, I believe it was, she really heard the gospel. And God saved her. There's one more part of this issue now that cannot be ignored. If all you hear is a man, it doesn't mean anything. How shall they preach? This is in verse 15 of Romans 10. How shall they preach except they be sent? That is, that God goes with them in the preaching of his gospel and grants his mighty work by his spirit in the salvation of souls. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Saving faith. This is gospel revelation number six. What we've just read. Saving faith is impossible without gospel preaching. Now read verse 16 in connection with those verses we've just read. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Amen, brother, that's surely so. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report, our gospel? 
the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 was reading one of the most precious passages in all the Bible. Having been a Jewish proselyte and been to Jerusalem to worship, he's on his way back to Ethiopia and he's reading the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And God sends him a preacher by the name of Philip. Philip runs up beside that chariot and asks this simple question, Do you understand what you're reading? He said, How can I except some man teach me? And the man was converted. All right, verse 17. Revelation number 7. So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Saving faith comes how? By hearing the word of God. We must hear from God. It's not what I think. It's what he thinks. Not so much what I say, it's what he says. Our words are virtually worse than worthless. But the word of God, the written and the living word of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, is glorious, glorious indeed. Look back at verse 8 just for a second in Romans 10. Remember what Paul said in that verse? What does the gospel say? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, the word of Christ, which we preach. Paul tells the uh, people in Athens, Greece, in that sermon on Mars Hill, he says, God's not far from any one of us. We're not dealing here with distance. We're dealing with a God who is absolutely holy. And ourselves, we're sinners from head to toe. Might as well be a million miles. But there's no difference and no distance. So saving faith, according to verse 17, comes by hearing the word of God. Now, would you look at another text with me, please? First uh, John chapter 5, I can actually quote this one, but I'm a little bit ahead of myself, so uh, let's enjoy the luxury and look up this verse. First John chapter 5, verse 1, whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. What does that mean? Faith is the result of the new birth. Not the cause. It's the fruit Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, 
is born of God. When the Holy Spirit regenerates a sinner, he deposits those two sacred gifts called repentance and faith. And once they are given, they are never taken back. The gifts and calling of God, Romans 11, 29 or so, somewhere in there, the gifts and calling of God are what? Without repentance. He doesn't give them to us and then because we don't use them, he takes, us, takes them back. The nature of the gift is to cause the using Infallibly so in every case. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ does so as the result of being born again. One more scripture, please. Proverbs 16 and verse 1. Proverbs 16, 1. The preparations of the heart in man... And the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Now let that apply to what we've just spoken of and referenced already. If you'll turn now to Romans 10 one more time. I should, but I can't pass up these closing verses. Beginning at verse 18... In regard to hearing by the word of God, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, truly, amen. Their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, have they not heard? I'm, I'm sorry, verse, verse 19. But I say, did not Israel know? First, Moses said, I'll provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people and by a foolish nation. I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold. Now, this has everything to do with what the subject matter is in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Isaiah is very bold and says, you ready for this? I was found of them that sought me not. And yet this book tells you if you don't seek God, you won't ever be saved. So how do you solve the riddle? It's real simple. It's real simple. He seeks me. I read it to you last night out of that hymn. He seeks me, and as a result of that, I seek him. But if he doesn't seek me first, I won't ever seek him. I was found of them that sought me not. Had a fellow come to the front of the church when we were singing a closing hymn several years ago. It was during the time we had a little disturbance going on. <laughs> I didn't think it was little at the time, but I can laugh about it now. Uh, these folks that were wanting to get rid of me, they tried trying to pad the rolls, and so this... Oh, 20-year-old guy came to the front, and I, I'm still in the pulpit, if I remember right, so I go down and ask him if I can help him. Oh, he says, I want to join the church and be baptized. I said, why do you want to do that? 
He said, because I love Jesus. I said, how long have you loved him? He said, I've always loved him. I said, that's too long. I said, you need to go back and take your seat and come every Sunday and listen. And God might save you, but you're not saved. That's just how it is. But to Israel, verse 21, God says, all day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Beloved, these things are true. Let us not only believe them, let us embrace them with all that we are. Did you know that present-day religion didn't just one day change from being a true gospel congregation or believers to being those that don't believe anything? It's a very slow process. Oh, that we might glory, rejoice in these blessed truths. Never be ashamed of them. Because you know, if you know anything at all, you know if religion is popular, it can't be of God. That which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So if you're looking at a, a too big a crowd, you might just be... Uh, setting yourself up because I ain't found it. But I bless God that he works in the hearts and souls of men. He saves whom he pleases, when he pleases. And that's enough. That's enough. Thank you.